Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me on the BIPOC Outside podcast. I'm Chris Cromwell, and today we're sitting down with Sean Mallier. Sean is the CEO of Winter for Kids, an organization that turned a dormant New Jersey ski area into a nonprofit to give children access to winter sport. So let's get into it. Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's great, Chris, to be here. I'm excited about this, I think. But... <laughs> well, well, hopefully hopefully, when it's over, you'll say, yeah, it was. I was right to be excited. So jumping right into it, you have an incredibly diverse resume. CEO, U.S. Marine pilot, ski coach, but you were born in the Bronx, right? South Bronx, yes. South Bronx. So take mm-hmm. us on the journey from a boy in the Bronx to now the president and CEO of Winter for Kids. I don't know if there's a path that goes straight from uh, A to Z. So I'm a projects kid. So I, I, def- I would define myself as not one that comes from winter sports and an asphalt kid. So I grew up playing a lot of basketball. <clears throat> I think that through some luck and some blessings, I went to Catholic high school in Harlem, Rice High School. And then from there, I was lucky to get to go to Holy Cross, which that's an interesting story in and of itself, given how Holy Cross at the time went out to recruit black students to bring them to Worcester, Massachusetts. Post Holy Cross, and I would say that Holy Cross was, there's probably three inflection points in my career. Holy Cross was one of them. The Marine Corps was the other one. And I think just my my being raised by a single parent, being the third inflection point. You know, after Holy Cross, I went to the Marine Corps as a pilot and started off coming out of flight school as a very bad pilot, mostly because I was scared to death of, of having to do this every day. But through and with me, I always get things right. The second time went from being, you know, not so good to very, very good, mainly by, you know, when you arrive at a certain comfort level, you start to press yourself outside your comfort zone. And as you take those small steps, you get better. You know, my, my life looks like a great storybook after the, it's done and the movie looks great because it looks like a great plan. However, I would say that I did all those things, including being CEO of technology companies, wealth management, and now went for kids that it's a function of, it's amazing what you can do when you don't know that you're not supposed to do it. So, and, 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 and there are lots of surely fits and starts along the way and a lot of learning. I would say that I'm a perpetual compulsive learner that I probably internalize everything and I probably look first to me for what I did or didn't do but then I can't stay in that space and that's probably the function of being an only child when there's not really a lot of support systems out there and I I know that it has to be a miracle for the things I went through that you you have to kind of fight your way through that and get through it I would say that that's that that shaped how I manage and, and and work with my team and people is that I know what it's like to get through tough times by yourself. So I, they will say that, Sean, when you ask how we're doing, you stand there and you look in our eyes and, and, and we know that, that you're gonna go deeper. But I think it's important that for me to make sure that everybody has some place or some space to be able to go to when things don't work out. I guess the, you know, that's the, the short story about that. I think that, that you know, my, I first started skiing coming out of a Marine Forces Enterprise out of Nellis Air Force Base and went to Park City the first time. And with my navigator, who was an avid skier, and I was not, I went to, you know, followed him up the lift, no lessons, not the right clothes. And needless to say, it was not a pleasant experience. 
and I just didn't do well. But I will go and say that when I got back to California, connecting with probably the most organized ski organization in North America, at least recreationally, the National Brother of Skiers, connected with Four Seasons West. Long story short, you know, misery loves company. They do a great job of post-ski types of things. And so I stayed with it and went from, you know, never ever and hating it to being a student of it. And of course, then being a coach and now being able to run a facility just dedicated to use winter activities, not as an end, not sports as an end, but a means of improving their lives. That's a short answer, Chris. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. So how did you go from becoming a never ever skier, you know, in your adulthood to recreational skier, to leadership positions at the NBS, to leadership positions at what you're doing now? What was your inspiration to, to get involved? I think that the the leadership side was something I always kind of navigated to. I look at leadership as not the the person who sits on the throne. I look at leadership as a person who uh, is accountable and responsible to try to get the the best possible out of the people around him or her and to be a supporter to help people to grow. So that leadership side has been something that... um, I wouldn't say it was natural, but it's something that, that I, I think is ingrained within my, my core competencies. <clears throat> I think that, again, the learning part of, of anything is, is another key component because I don't stop at it, so I'm a constant. But I'm usually a student of everything I do. So skiing, you know, I wasn't only bad, but I wanted to find out why I was bad and, and to learn and grow by experience and always put myself kind of out where I want to be, but not necessarily prepared to be there. And so becoming more confident, both in understanding the technical side, but more capable in understanding the skill side to be able to leverage being the penultimate problem solver, both in leading company and being a resource to people and organizations to being able to apply that to the things that I want to do as well. Nice. So what, what is your home hill now? Where are you skiing nowadays? At our facility, Winter for Kids. Yeah. You know, this is, a, this is a dedicated facility, no adults, for just kids. And, I, and it started out, Chris, as, as the sports side. <clears throat> and that was in 2015. We've evolved from the sports side to the activity side in the context that while we wanted to improve the life, health, and fitness of kids through winter activities, we're much clearer on exactly what that is. So I embrace, and my team, and what we do, we embrace the fact that we develop better attitudes in kids through winter and actually outdoor activities about themselves. That's about self-esteem, health, physical, mental, nutrition and activity and how they contribute to our overall physical being. Opportunity, I'm gonna come back to opportunity. Mastery, so they can go from never ever to some level of of competency in skiing, snowboarding and cross country and a love of the outdoors. Now let me go back to opportunity. Most people won't recognize this, but my best metaphor or analogy for that is, it comes from a movie by, and a song that was in a movie by Barbara Streisand. <clears throat> Most people don't know Barbara Streisand does, but if not, go look it up. Okay, and, and she did a movie some years ago called Yento. And in Yento, there's a song called A Piece of Sky. 
And it resonated with me because I could, when I grew up in, in the projects in the Bronx, 1710 Lafayette Avenue, apartment 6A, when you look out a window, what you see is all what you see, the frame and all those things. So you can see a piece of the sky and some of the other things. But when you go outside and you walk outside and look up, the sky is much broader, is much higher. And, and so that's what we do in the context of everything. We talk about self-health, opportunity, mastery, and the love of the outdoors. That, that piece of sky, that opportunity that we do creates the reasons or the ways for kids to decide that I have some options. Now, just to bring that into context, in May, I got a text from principals of one of our schools. Our customers are schools and youth serving agencies. And she said that one of the students who had been part of our program in a couple of previous years had got shot and killed outside of school. This was last May. And, and that was sad because this individual was always on that path between gangs and other things. And so the context of opportunity to give kids a tangible choice of what we do here, that we are changing lives. Chris, 50% of our kids uh, suffer from social PTSD. We associate PTSD being in wars and battles. Social PTSD, 50% of these kids are exposed to or have some experience with violence in their homes, violence in their neighborhoods, of violence in their schools. And 82% of them are free to reduce lunches. I would say that, you know, greater than 30% are black or African-American, 24% Latinx, about 17 to 19% white, 14% Asian, and others do not choose to identify. But these are kids who traditionally don't have access. And, and my reason for talking about this is that we're talking about the, I, the idea and the, oh, how do I say, the privilege of being able to out, use the outdoors is that what we, we change. At the end of the day, that's what Winner for Kids does. So you really, I mean, your mission is improving equity of access, but let's, let's wind it back a little bit. Is, so it was 2015, you helped raise $12 million dollars um, to buy the Hidden Valley Ski Area near in Vernon, New Jersey, and mm-hmm. to upgrade it to become the National Winter Activity Center. And this is where Winter for Kids operates. So, so let's take a step back and talk about, you know, the vision of making this come together so you could provide these opportunities for kids. Chris, we started out prior to that, and actually it came out of an initiative from a couple of trustees at U.S. Ski and Snowboard. And the intention was to again, to create a sustainable way for kids who did not, urban kids, to have access to winter activities. And we started the National Winter Sports Education Foundation, which is a predecessor to Share Winter Foundation. And and when we had the opportunity to purchase and acquire Hidden Valley, it was kind of a juncture where we could take what we were economically funding and providing best practices and tangibly create what we wanted to do. And so we're able to raise that that initial funding and at Winter for Kids, which is actually a manifestation of the physical things that we wanted to do, we repurposed and re-engineered it. And and that allowed us to, to be feet on the ground. I mean, the close interaction 
And then I had uh, a choice to make and I wanted to choose to be where I came from and to be a, with a team, to be a change maker for kids with the National Winter Activity Center and Winter for Kids. That 12 million went way past that. <clears throat> and, and so this facility includes skiing, snowboarding across country, new buildings, new infrastructure, everything that's necessary to ensure that the kids had a great environment, clothing that they needed, equipment, healthy meals, which is a key component. And then the, the opportunity to help develop life-changing skills through mentoring as part of the program. Any lessons learned on building a ski facility from the ground up? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> there, there are things I speak like I'm an expert today, but five years ago, I didn't know. But had it not been for some individuals who I will say were skeptics, they had to be. I'm a black person wanting to take over a ski facility and re-engineer and repurpose it. And then people would ask, well, where does money come from and those things? But they, to their credit, stayed with us. So people from Prenoff with uh, groomers, uh, people from HKD with snowmaking, people who helped us redesign the trails and architects and engineers. They all sat in a room probably shaking their heads, but today have been really big components of where we are and what we've evolved from, from some ideas. Amazing. So your mission statement is making unimaginable dreams inevitable opportunities for youth. Mm -hmm. And so that sounds like you're talking a lot more than just winter sport. You're talking yes. about developing young people. Sure. I mean, sometimes we gravitate to things without knowing a greater purpose. I would not be here if it hadn't been for individuals and the opportunities afforded to me by trying to play sports. So it's, it's a game changer. And I think that and when we talk about that, that kind of tagline, it, it allows me to see and understand the real impact, which a lot of individuals might take uh, for granted, privilege, and then, you know, and then I guess not really get it. So, you know, I'm going to bridge to something that we talk about a lot about diversity, inclusion, and equity. And I'm going to say the statement that probably I said, while you might not want to hear it, I don't necessarily gravitate and embrace them. Tell me why. The reason for that is that consider these other statements of welcoming, belonging, embracing. Okay, consider those statements versus diversity, equity, and inclusion. Actually, there are two E's, and I swear I always forget what the other E is. And, and it bothers me because I, I talk about it a lot, and I always have to look it up, and I can never remember it. But I'll come back because I got it to Weeby. The embracing side, the other E is empathy. So the difference is, one is culture changing. The other one is really about institutional, or as one of my interns said, it's about committees. And, and so I use this thing, and to give you an example of what, that, what I mean by that, maybe not you, but others have, if you're going into, a, somebody invites you to a party, and you're new to the neighborhood, and they say at the door, hey, Chris, it's good to see you. Come on in. And they take you there. They take your coat and they leave you and walk away. And you know no one. And you look around the room and you're looking for anybody who you can make eye contact with a smile so you can have somebody to walk up to and to kind of make the environment a little warmer. That's the same thing that we're talking about today is that, you know, 
imagine that somebody came to the door and they says, oh, Chris, good to see you. Come on in, let me take your coat. Chris, let me introduce you to John over here. John does some of the work like you do and they walk you around the room and then they say, Chris, this happens to be Paul. You and Paul are kind of in the same world. Why don't you guys spend some time talking and those things? That's, that's welcoming. The idea about empathy is that to accept everybody's experience and what they feel about it without judgment. Embracing is that, you know, we sometimes welcome people and, and we, we're empathetic, but we keep our distance. And you, you need to be able to bridge the gap of unfamiliarity and then belonging, which is not only that letting a person feel they belong in the room or in that place, but there's the other part that the individual themselves feel like they belong there. That That's a different and a much more personal experience, but it's also, it's a lot easier because if we're going to measure diversity and equity inclusion by numbers, you'll get the numbers, but you might not feel welcome. Now, I'm going to flip a script that may not be. And so if you think about where we are in this country today, there are 75 million people who are on one side and another 82 on another side. If we define inclusion as taking either group and moving them to the other group, I would argue that without welcoming them and being empathetic about their experiences, that it's doomed to fail. And what do you do with the 75 million individuals or as better yet, when we have these committees and workshops that we're trying to fix one of the groups because by deciding to fix them, we've kind of decided that they were bad or, or not right. And is that something that's welcoming and empathetic? And does that help to bring us all? And what we're trying to get to is this environment where everybody feels. So that's my, that's my pitch, not my pitch. That's what I believe in the context of, of, of what's going on in this world. And it's going across gender, religions, race, all of those things. And we, we need to go deeper. And it bothers me that, that we're focusing more on let's get more black kids skiing. It's not really it. Let's help the kids understand that they can choose to do that. And when they go, that they belong. And we're empathetic because we know they don't have those experiences. So we're not going to um, look at them and might make fun of how their helmet is or how they, but understand where they come from and do what the National Brotherhood of Skiers or Four Seasons, Four Seasons West did for me was that they guided you through that. They helped you get through that. So I didn't feel bad in the happy hour, helped the misery side get a little bit um, easier to take. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll never turn down a pre-ski. So what you're saying is you're really, you're really flipping it. You're going from, you know, community-based grassroots solutions of building community and building relationships as opposed to top-down solutions to get statistics? You have to do both. And I, I was with, I went to Holy Cross and I was with the Dean of Students this weekend, which Holy Cross is a unique place, especially this last weekend. Incredible change in its whole history. First of all, Holy Cross is a Catholic Jesuit school in Massachusetts. For 175 years, a priest has been the president of it. In this last year, as of three months ago, it's not a priest anymore. And the president's also black now. And 
And, and this is the, one of the interesting things about the, the idea about welcoming, belonging, empathy, right? And embracing is that when people say, oh, Holy Cross has a black president, I go, no. No more than Winter for Kids has a black CEO. Winter for Kids has a CEO. Holy Cross has a president who happens to be black, who happens to be from the Bronx, who happens. What I'm getting at is that that perspective changes how people respond to things and is part of what the culture changing. Now, I would like to tell you, Chris, that I was an original thinker and this was all my idea. It was a 19-year-old intern for Holy Cross who, who last year, two years ago, said, are we talking about committees or talking about culture? And, and what we're really talking about in winter activities and all that is culture changing. I'm not sure that everybody's there yet, but I think that, that at least it's a start. It's absolutely a start. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's not just, you're not just focusing on the opportunity for the children. You're, you are really looking at it holistically in terms of, you know, food, in terms of reducing barriers, like health of their whole person. So how does addressing things that way help to create, you know, opportunities for you? A good example is, again, quotes from some of the kids who've been there. At Winter for Kids, they tell me, you treat us like human beings. The food that they have, they get choices for food. They don't have choices at home. So they get choices and it's hot food. It's not sandwiches, it's hot food. We've actually started a summer for kids kind of day camp because the summertime is when these kids are at most risk because they don't have the schools for meals and those things. And so to use that as to continue to make a difference I think that that all of these things change what your perspective is. And and then adding to that, not only just what you eat, but we're adding hydroponics to it. So let's grow the the green vegetables. Let's see that, understand that you can grow these things vertically, not in the ground, but in buildings, so that how would you feed? So using those things as life-changing sharing information that not only changes perspective, but changes what kids start to think. So it's a wonderful place that we've been able to, to take the best from people outside, integrate it in programs, and we're trying to do a better job of getting it really integrated, but to, to really deliver and be a, a institution that's making consistent, continuous improvements to the communities that we serve. So you're coming into your seventh season, is that correct? Sixth. Sixth season. Sorry. So you're coming into your sixth season. What are some of the impacts of the Winter for Kids programming that you're seeing? I think for the kids themselves, they're now wanting to come back. And now it's being seen as not just this whim of somebody, but actually as a place for for us to think about integrating within an education process and an experiential process. We're seeing... Um, some parts of the industry embracing it, Camelback Mountain and us are doing a relationship where the kids who graduate, so to speak, from Winter for Kids after three years, get a season's pass, access pass for three years at no cost. That we're able to integrate their families with all season or all year round activities that we would do and help to shape with their families. So, you know, a relationship like that, given that we're not, you know, we're in education and and a competitive entity, those kids now can have someplace to go 
and we look to mitigate that. So that's changes both in the industry, both with the kids, and I think the communities, and then all of us, I continue to change and see and understand what some of the things that need to be addressed for those who are in non-traditional cultures. I'll say something that, that's interesting. I, I was at Holy Cross this weekend, I, and a lot of the black students did not show up at a lot of these events and activities. And, and I asked uh, Michelle Murray, and she said, you know, they don't necessarily feel that they belong at them. And this goes back to the context of that piece of sky. Until we show everyone that, yeah, these are the opportunities and you have a right to them and you should be in the room, they don't step out to 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 kind of look at that. And that's the other next step of, of you know, we talk about equity and all those other things about equity. And I'm not sure that all of the experts, and some of them happen to be experts of color, are dealing with. I don't know where this whole thing is going, but please don't give out my address. No. <laughs> I will absolutely not give out your address. I promise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you've, you've grown fast. This program has grown really fast. Last year, mm-hmm. you had over 3,000 kids from as far away from New Jersey as Louisiana. Not Louisiana. They've come from Georgia. Georgia. Georgia and, and from Detroit. So Jalen Rose Academy in Detroit. And I think Riverside academy in Gainesville and another school in Gainesville and that goes to our our program because it's it's a multi-session multi-year program six sessions each year and those sessions are the first year they are introductory introduction to in skiing to an alpine skiing to in cross country and to in snowboarding and then when they come back they get to choose which ones they master so I mean it's on on average Three years, but they can go as long as they wish. And the the interesting, it's it's four hour sessions where it's healthy meals, mentoring, clothing because a lot of them don't have it, all the equipment, and and just numbers wise. Last year was COVID year, so we were down numbers. We didn't do much. The year before that was about three thousand. We expect to try to do three thousand eight hundred sixty four this current season and then they get ten thousand kids a year by twenty twenty four. The the key though that's happening with this post COVID, I'm not post COVID, we're still in it, is transportation. And and the issue about transportation is is not only cost but not enough drivers. There are schools now who are canceling classes because they don't have ways of getting kids there. So, you know, as a nation or as a community, we're trying to figure out ways to mitigate the transportation issues. So when when a little one shows up for their first time at a program, what what would they expect? What does their what does their day look like? Oh, I, I think that the we we have participants from six to seventeen years old. And it's kind of the first visit is always the same because they look up. And it's daunting when you look up this hill. And and then our group leaders meet them. They get them into the lodge. We feed them. And then we help them through, you know, getting the equipment, getting clothing on. And and the early stages of this are to just make them comfortable. I mean, the context of what they need to learn when they first get here is, first of all, one, that you will fall down. And then two is that hopefully you know how to stop. And we teach them how to turn, and, and those are the key things, but to do it in a non-threatening environment that, that embraces games. A lot of the, the learning is done with games on snow. And I think that that's, that helps them to develop skills without having to listen to somebody like me talk all the time. Um, 
So, and that's part of, we kind of, we embrace that Norwegian perspective. One of our board members, Helen Ingebrigtsen is from Norway and, um, and they teach their kids how to enjoy winter sports with games. And so we're not original thinkers. We just make sure we take what somebody else is doing right and then we give them credit and keep moving on. But, you know, and it's, they go from being fearful to being, you know, fun and not realizing that they're learning and it's great to see their progress. That's amazing. And you partner with, with schools and with community organizations. Yes. Yeah. So um, roughly, I'd say that this year we're planning on 73 different entities, you know, schools that are in rural, urban, suburban neighborhood, YMCA's, Boys and Girls Clubs, or any group. So if somebody says, I want my kids to go, but I don't have a group, well, create a group, you know, either in your town or community, a connection with the YMCA, but you know, we're pretty flexible. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So this is a completely different model from a public ski area. Oh, yeah, there's no adults. There's no free skiing. You know, so there, you know, it's a sacred place for all of these kids. So how can a private nonprofit serve the children and their families better than a public area? Oh, I think that a public area can do it. Yeah. I think that it can. It's a matter of carving out the space for them and then having access to food. They already have that. They have an area, then, then getting the right type of instructors who, who enjoy being around kids. And then they can follow a path. I think that this can be done and replicated any place. Matter of fact, those other areas can probably do it a lot more efficiently than we can because we don't, we don't have the benefit of the other paying customers. However, but it can be replicated anywhere. And there's some places doing it. I think that's important to make sure you have a continuous program. I think it's important to make sure that you do more than, than skiing. You use it as a, as a catalyst. But at the end of the day, I think that what we have is a, a framework that any area can do. And, and from everything, everyone who's ever interviewed you, from all of the stories that I've heard, you have an incredibly efficient system from getting the kids from their arrival to the point where they're on the snow. Like you've worked this out. So what, uh, what lessons learned on that would you give back to anyone who wants to replicate what you do? Keep working at it because we're still working at it. I think that looking for ways of uh, keeping the individuals engaged along. I think we've done some good jobs about getting metrics for pre-provisioning. So the schools provide us with their sizing and their weight height and those things, then now we have a system that gives us the opportunity to kind of pre-provision them. We used to go out and measure them all in the schools. Now, now what we do is get the information and we're realizing that when we do this and we can figure we're ready for them, we may need to tweak it a bit, but that's better. We had a goal for being 18 minutes off of the bus and into equipment and on snow. We no longer kind of do that because we want to feed them. We don't want to rush them. We want to do some of it. We, we integrate some, I guess, life skills in, in the process. So we don't want to rush that. So we get to make sure that they have two hours on snow, you know, out of the four hours, they have food, uh, equipment, and the mentoring or life skills side of it. So it's pretty good. Two hours on snow is a long time for these kids. But we are, we're getting better and more efficient. Chris, we still have a long way to go. So we, we, we continue to evolve. I, I appreciate your humility, but I think your program really speaks for itself. 
And you, you go beyond just learning to ski. You, you have a competitive program too. We do. We do. And, and interesting enough, those same values of health, self, self-health, opportunity, mastery, and love the outdoors are the same things on that side with those individuals being able to apply those skiing skills in a competitive environment from recreational to high school skiing. We, we support college racing. Special Olympics comes here for their Olympic Games for the Nordic side. You know, it's, it's the same thing. And hopefully we'll get some of the kids from our academy program, the learning part of it, into the competitive part and, and see how that goes. Amazing. So how, you know, that's, you have an extensive network of partnerships in order to make this work. How did you develop the partnerships? How did you get the word out into the community that, you know, this is the programming you're offering and, and how they can get involved? I think first and foremost, I have a great team that gets out there and, and does all the right things. I think that now, you know, we we're becoming more known and it's, it's interviews like this and social media and those things that, that gets the word out. We have to do a better job of, of getting the experience out. It's very difficult for people to feel the experience from a one dimensional on paper or, you know, one of my team says, Sean, we just have to get you out there speaking more because, you know, it, it connects more. I think that that we don't, you know, there are 70, within a 70 mile radius, there are four and a half million kids. So, you know, our attempt to, to, um, to change lives from 3,000 to 10,000, we can't get to them all, but I do think that we need to do a better job of getting the message out, not about skiing, but about how the outdoors helps develop better attitudes about self-health, opportunity, mastery, and a love of it. And I think that, that by doing that, uh, we're surely getting schools that are coming to us this year and those things about how we can do this, other youth-serving agencies. We're not competing with anybody. We're extensions of the things that they do. Mm-hmm. And, and the center operates as a not-for-profit. Yeah. And, and the children who come in for your programming typically are under scholarship or under some sort of, of reduction for the economic barriers how does that all work out in the wash? Well, it, it's interesting that we have a number like the Community Foundation of New Jersey with their Warm Jacket Fund, or schools, some schools can, can cover their fees, and, but other entities that support schools, banks, and, and other organizations are to help to mitigate the costs that are associated with doing this. And we're working hard to drive down our costs. I mean, today as a nonprofit, uh, we're probably still running at a place we're raising about 50% of, of the expenses to support this. I hope to get us to where every dollar that we raise mitigates the cost and so lowers the cost externally. But I think that, that there are so many individuals like the Warm Jacket Fund, the Community Foundation of New Jersey. There's the Boston Foundation. There are individual givers, some who want us to focus on the nutrition and, and, and hydroponics. And I think we're finding a, a big, large community of support. And of course, a lot of my alumni at Holy Cross, which my board, interesting enough, I did the numbers, like four or five of us of nine are Holy Cross alumni. It's a, it's a strong community that helps us to um, just be better at doing better. You're, what are you, an hour from Manhattan? Hour and seven minutes on a good day from Midtown. Hour and seven minutes. Mm-hmm. 
there is a lot of sort of perception about winter sports, about skiing, and they, they happen far away, you know, they, and it seems, or there's a perception that it's really inaccessible to urban Mm -hmm. people, to urban youth, and you are completely destroying the narrative that winter sports happens far, far away. So how, how are you doing that? How, what, how do you get the message out that this is for everybody, regardless of where you... Look, conversations like what you're doing now. And, you know, and the other part of it that's really kind of interesting, it's amazing what you can do when you don't know you're not supposed to. So, you know, it's, I think that we, the, the communities themselves, the educators out there, the leaders of groups are our best advocates. And now we have a team that's going out to, to look at those schools that are, who don't know about us, like, you know... Um, going down to Trenton and Camden and going to Pennsylvania and working with those groups to figure out how to get them in. And, and then also working with places like Camelback and others to create these other programs around the area. So as you said, you've been doing a lot more interviews, a lot more media like this, and you've developed a fairly big platform. So when you have the opportunity to talk back to the ski industry, what advice do you have to big ski, to increase their ability to be welcoming, belonging, embracing, and their empathy. I, I think it's what those words mean to one, this, these communities represent future growth. So there's a reason why you want to, to do all of the right things, right? You know, empathy, embracing, belonging, and welcoming, making sure that that happens because that helps the industry grow. I think that if I were going to tell them is that don't make it a numbers thing, make it an environmental community culture thing. You cannot appeal to everybody's individual perspective. But if you embrace welcoming in the what it really means, then no matter what the ethnic group or gender or ability, I may be differently able or disabled or I whatever that is, if you just embrace the fact that everybody has a inherent right to be there and you make them comfortable about it, it's not that hard. I just go back to like anybody says, have you ever gone to that meeting where you walk in a room and you go, um, hmm. And then the other part about the written rules and unwritten rules. You know, people say, well, how do you carry your skis? There's not a sign that shows them that. Go in and understand that that each one of them comes in there and then make that part of your connection with them. People will respond to places where they feel that it's that they belong there and they're welcome. I don't think it's that hard, but I do, well, it is different because it's personal. You're going to have to look across the table or wherever you are and look at that individual and literally embrace them in a way, I'm not talking about physically, but in your mind that, you know what, the, let me help them understand what this is about. They need the right gloves or whatever. See, I, I, I go back to that. This is about culture, not about committees. I'm going to use that a lot. You're going to hear. Okay, just make sure you make a donation every time you use that. It's copyrighted. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make a commitment every time, but I, right. I can make a commitment. Right. But, but, but this is, you know, my... Um, head of relationships and she said Sean we just need you to get on a speaking tour and to talk about this the 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 things that are going through our country today because 
it all comes back to this this issue of welcoming, empathy, belonging, right, embracing. It's kind of interesting that that fits for everybody, and it's it's not just a race thing. It's triggered by that, but and and we have to look across the table or across the aisles, as they would say in Washington, and understand and respect where they come from and why, and then find the commonalities, the bridges, so that we all feel okay. And, and it's pretty clear that you're making those personal connections. You have an incredibly high retention rate at your facility, particularly given that the children who are coming into your programming aren't children of privilege primarily. Right. I think that that's part of how we set this up with the stakeholders that we have and supporting groups, but also now having them after they leave us, they have a place to go. Camelback Resort, and and so we're, we we are remember we're still evolving, Chris, right? So we're starting to do this, and it's not the only way to do this, but I think that for us, it's the way that you give those kids a path to continue, and that helps to do the retention rate. The reason why the retention rate of winter sports stays around the sub twenties is because of lack of community, lack of mastery lack of access and economics. So we're trying to, at least in these early years, to mitigate all of that. Yeah, and you are, you're addressing all of the barriers. And I think that it's an incredible blueprint. The program is is amazing. It's, it's really inspirational. So again, so many interviews that you've done in the last little bit of time, and I appreciate you spending some time and giving me the, giving me the gift of your time. What's the one question that you always wanted to answer, but, but no one's asked you yet? Hmm. I don't think anybody's asked what's in it for me. What's in it for you? And, and, and I, I think that that's, I was wired to do this. I mean, my, my, while it's a path that I embrace was not one of privilege, um, not one of immunity, um, not one of entitlement. And, but I've come to have lots of things that people, you know, to go from the Bronx and to go to Holy Cross and be a pilot in the Marine Corps or a CEO of companies, all of those things I didn't necessarily plan to, but through blessings and, and, and individuals be able to, to get there. So I, I have a responsibility. No, it's not, it's part of my nature to do this. So I get everything that I need back from seeing the progress of the kids we serve, the communities we change, and the team here, because they know that I'm not here to, to just judge. I'm there to help them to be better at doing better. What has been your best day on the snow so far? Oh, I think that, that the, the first thing is, is when you're out there and you can be out there with the kids and see them, whether they're racing or learning, to see them accomplish something. Um, I think that that's the one that gets to my heart. What gets to my head, my own experience is like, I just love to just make turns with my music and those things and nobody there. And just to enjoy it because that spirit of that enjoyment is what I hope that we can enable those kids to, to uh, em embrace and enjoy. You bet. Hmm. What, have you got, what have you got in the headphones when you're out there? Ooh, I have my, my music playlist is all over the place. So my favorite song or theme song is probably Zoom by the Commodores, which was also my, my call sign 
when I was flying. Damien Escobar, who's a good friend, who's a violinist, I, I love his music. It's 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 it, it doesn't matter. It's it's amazing to be able to to just have that experience and and just to make terms and and to know that that's privilege. I don't take any of that for granted. I don't get to do it enough, but I, I appreciate any time that I do get to do it at all. Amazing. We're running into overtime, so just a couple quick last questions. Uh, you talk about 10,000 kids. That's the future for mm-hmm. Winter for Kids and the National Activity Center. How are you going to get there? Well, first thing, Winter for Kids is the programs. The National Winter Activity Center is our campus, right? That's what we call it. We will go from 168 kids per session to about 312 per session with the completion of a, a lodge edition that should be finished up this year, which will give us capacity of almost 750 kids per session. But at 312, it will be operationally break even. And so that plus going seven days a week. And remember I said that within a 70 mile radius, there's 4.5 million kids. It's not hard to fill that. I think that I'm hoping that others join us like Cabelback and, and those entities to create like programs for them. Okay. And uh, what about yourself? Do you have a ski bucket list for this winter for yourself? No, <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> to figure out. Uh, I go so many places and all of those things. And I think this, this winter, you know, I'm excited about the Olympics for us and t- to see, and especially Michaela's, she's been a great supporter. So has Lindsey Vaughn, Ted Ligety's on our board. So we have a lot of that. And so that's exciting. I think that, no, I, you know, I've been, I've skied a lot from South America to Sasfe in Switzerland. I guess my favorite places, Alta in Utah, I would say I like Banff, even though there's not a ski area at Banff. I love the, the Fairmont at Banff. But I, I, you know, I, it doesn't matter to me where I am. It's kind of the same experience because it's kind of like playing golf. I'm terrible at it. Why would I go to a great golf course when I'm terrible at it? I never figured that out just so I could play it poorly when you're just there for the experience. But... Well, I don't have any bucket list stuff about that. No. That's okay. Come back to Banff. That's that's my home area, uh, Sunshine really? in Banff. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I you know I, that's one of my you know I love trains and trains in the United States. They're okay, but I love Europe. I mean, I, I'm I'm a fan of castles and I love Europe and to travel by train. Yeah. And I know that there's a traveling, there's a train, a Canadian train that goes across. I probably want to do that. I wanted to do the Orient Express until it's only like only a two or three day trip i want to be in the Orient express for like a month you know and just go there but so anyway <laughs> that would be an amazing trip to mongolia on the orient express that's mm-hmm. on my long three-day trip amazing and i don't know why i want to do more time than that but it's it's like greedy you know when i growing up i didn't have so now you know i'm high maintenance everything so i don't think it's high maintenance oh you have no idea what high maintenance. but i take care of my own maintenance that's it. So I'm good with that. <laughs> so where do our listeners find you? Where, how do they reach out if they want to participate? How do they reach out if they want to support? I think that there are a couple of things to do. One, feel free to give me, because I come from a family that loves to talk, so I talk a lot. But surely at, at winterforkids.org is our website. And uh, come visit us. I tell you, the experience doesn't do well if you come here and see these kids during the season that's what that's what it is. Now you don't get to ski, but you come out there. You can sit down with the kids, and maybe you get to the cross country facility with them. But, but I do think, and of course, I would be remiss if I didn't say that that people's spiritual support, moral support, 
and financial support is appreciated. <laughs> and listeners, you're going to find links to where to find Winter for Kids and the National Activity Center in the show notes for this. I recommend you support this brilliant program. Sean, thank you so much for the gift of your time today. I really appreciate this. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks, Chris. Anytime. Feel free. And that is it for this episode. Thank you everyone for listening. Links on all the different ways to find Winter for Kids are available at the show notes at BIPOCoutside.com. I hope this left you feeling as inspired as it did me. And if it did, don't hesitate to smash the like button. I hope you'll join us again for another episode of BIPOC Outside.